This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So hi, my name is Stan, as you've already heard. Um, I've been part of uh, G1 for, since the beginning really, for about nine or ten years now. And um, I'm going to be talking to you on the subject of singleness as part of our series on divine sex. Okay. Um, so from the start, I just want to say that this is not singles week. It's not singles week. So when Howard asked me to talk on singleness, I always knew in my heart that actually this is a message for the whole church. This is a message for the whole church. Um, And I think it's an important message as well. Um, The government defines single as those who are neither married nor cohabiting. In church, we have a different definition. Um, But in society, um, we have seen over the last 20 years a shift towards singleness, shift towards more people in our society being single. And we start to see that in church as well. Um, So church's definition of single, as I've said just now, is actually, you know, those who are not married. And that's going to be my definition of single during this talk. Um, So you may be wondering, is this guy single? Am I single? Well, at the moment of speaking, I am officially as single as they come. So I don't have any fledgling relationship I am yet to reveal. I don't have any, any promising leads on my internet dating. <laughs> N- nothing there. I'm not saying this as free advertising, as someone has suggested to me. I'm just saying it so that you know where I am coming from. Um, that said as well, I, at my age, um, so I'm in my mid-30s now, I did expect at this age to be married with some children. I did expect that. So those children who are running around near me uh, during the worship, they, they're, they're not my responsibility. Nothing to do with me, those children. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I did expect to be married at this point. Um, so for, I can talk from experience in this um, matter. But I also want to acknowledge that um, there are lots of different types of singleness as well. There's lots of different types of single people um, in our society. So I know from personal experience that actually the the joys as well as the challenges of being single when I was 18 are different to how I experienced it at 25 and are different to how I experience it now. And I've got um, single friends who, who are male and female, and there are differences, similarities, but also differences in the joys and the challenges which single people uh, face. There's also different types where we have um, uh, people who have been married previously and are now single, those who um, are separated, still married but separated, and those who are widowed as well. And there are those who marriage is a possibility for them, or maybe a probability, those who think that marriage is not a possibility for them, and there are those who have chosen not to be married, Christians who have chosen not to be married. And I just want to acknowledge at the start that there are different types of singleness. We could talk a lot about this. There's lots I could say. But I really had to whittle it down to what I think are the important things that we need to establish when talking about singleness. So the areas I'm going to talk about today are singleness in the New Testament, singleness and the gospel, uh, singleness as a gift, and singleness in the church. Very good. Okay, so um, 
as a single person in church, I've, I've not been deprived of teaching surrounding marriage. Okay? Many of the preachers I listen to are married, and so illustrations coming from the life of a married person are quite common. Um, and I'm pleased for it. I was talking to someone over coffee, and we were, we were both single, and we were both saying, yeah, actually, the teaching on marriage which we received in the previous two weeks have been excellent. We're pleased for it. We, many singles hope to be married one day themselves, and so thinking about it now makes sense. Thinking about it now biblically makes sense. Furthermore, in our society, when marriage is being like, redefined and sort of downgraded, good, solid, biblical teaching on marriage, I think, is essential. Because we want marriages to go well. Yeah. Don't we? we want marriages to go well in this church and, and in our society. Um, furthermore, I'd like to be married one day. Um, whilst I haven't been deprived of teaching on marriage, I also haven't been deprived of encouragement to go and get married. And so that looks... You know, that can take the form of someone taking you aside and giving you the lowdown on the benefits of marriage to a slightly more cheeky, you know, stand the sex is great in marriage, to um, someone else a little bit more concerned, maybe saying, you know, it's not good to put off marriage for too long. There's plenty of encouragement sort of going around. But the expectation is, I find, is that you will get married. So if you're single, the expectation is that you will get married. And not that you will just get married, but that you will get married sometime in your 20s. Yeah, that seems to be the expectation. And if you get married in your 30s or your 40s or even later, you've married late. Um, and if you don't believe that these expectations exist, just ask a single person. Um, they are prevalent, and though all, not always spoken of, um, they tend to be revealed in the various interactions we have, the loose comments thrown out here and there, and sometimes even in the prayers that we might hear. I remember a friend of mine, uh, she was involved in Christian ministry, and she... She went away to a Christian conference to lead some younger people. And um, she came back just a little bit upset, a little bit upset with the reaction of some of the young people she was leading when they found out, A, her age, and the fact that she wasn't married. Um, I find it, feel it myself sometimes. So a couple of years back, it was actually in the moment after the worship, before the preach, where you turn to someone and say hello. And I, I spoke to someone, we exchanged names, and the first thing she asked me was, you know, so who are you married to? And I simply said, you know, I'm not married. And then we had like, this awkward exchange where she felt like she insulted me and I felt awkward because she looked awkward. And then the preacher got up to preach and saved us from this whole awkward scenario. And I also find it whenever I go back to, you know, back, back to a place where I'm going to bump into people I haven't seen for a long time, maybe at an old church or at a conference, whatever, um, people tend to ask me or like to ask me, so is there anything different in your life? Is there anything different going on with you? <laughs> I know they don't care about my job. I simply know they don't care about my job. Um, and for some reason, I just feel like I need to justify my life in some way. I need to justify this single life I am living. Um, I also remember a popular speaker I used to listen to on podcasts um, about 10 years ago when podcasting became really popular. And um, he had a church with a lot of men in there, but he just used to bash the men continually. And it was like he had a church full of men who were stuck in a rom-com, who were stuck in their, their adolescence, and he'd bash them for being immature, selfish, unwilling to ask a woman out, unwilling to commit to a woman. And for him, there was nothing good about being single. And if you were a bloke and unmarried, you seemed to be the problem. Um, there seemed to be something wrong. Um, and since then, I've obviously stopped listening to him. But, you know, I tend to squirm. Whenever there was a talk on singleness, whenever I realised the talk was on singleness, I kind of squirm and think, <laughs> you know, what exactly is going to be said today? Um, and now I'm doing the talk, so here we go. <laughs> okay, um, so singleness in the church 
can be a tricky subject, a comfortable subject to talk about sometimes. Um, Timothy Keller's got an excellent book called The Meaning of Marriage, and in there there is plenty for singles as well. There's a chapter on singleness, and he quotes from an article by Paige Brenton Brown, um, and she comments on the way the church in the West tries to explain singleness. So she's got four points, and I've heard some of these, and I've even thought some of these myself. Um, things like, as soon as you are satisfied in God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life as though God's blessings are ever earned by our contentment. You're too picky. As though God is frustrated by our fickle whims and these broader parameters in which to work. As a single, you can commit yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord's work, as though God requires emotional martyrs to do his work, of which marriage must be no part. Before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful. As though God grants marriage as a second blessing to the satisfactory sanctified. And we've heard some of these things ourselves. Keller continues with it. He says, beneath each of these statements is the premise that the single life is a state of deprivation for people who are not yet fully formed enough for marriage. Um, I was in a ministry type of situation a few years ago, and a young married man came up to a group of us, many of whom were single, and said, you know, I can never follow a man who hasn't got a woman. And... That lingered in my thoughts for ages, and I was thinking, do people actually think this? Do people actually think like this? I mean, if we got a new um, senior, Harold retired, we get a new senior pastor, and he was actually single, I, I don't know if that would be okay. Would that be okay? But this was a strange comment, because the man who said that had just spent the last 40 minutes passionately, and he was loud, passionately worshipping, praying to a man who, according to the scriptures, was a single man. So we're talking... Um, talking about Jesus, who never married, who never had children, he never had sex, and he died a virgin when he was 33. Yet Jesus, the single man Jesus, called other people, men and women, to drop everything and follow him. Well, you may say that, well, he was God, you know, he was quite busy when he was here on earth, wasn't he? But we can't forget just the life Jesus lived before he started his ministry. He lived quite a normal life. Um, and we can forget just the humanness of Jesus as well. Philippians says that he was made in human likeness, that he was found just like us. So he would have a body like ours with his biological drives. He'd get tired, he'd get hungry, he'd feel the pain. He had the capacity for every human emotion that we feel. Um, so we see him get angry, we see him mourn, we see him enjoying the company of others, and we can downplay that human side of Jesus. Yet Jesus, just like us, was wired for intimacy. He was wired for intimacy in the same day that we are wired, wired for intimacy. And Jesus lived the fullest life of anyone who had ever lived, and he was single. And Jesus' single life also was significant because at the time it defied societal norms. So according to Jewish tradition, if you, uh, the proper time for a man to marry was 18, and if you, got married, if you weren't married at 20, you were considered cursed. There was no honour without family honour. There was no real lasting significance or legacy without heirs. Without children, you essentially vanished and you had no future. Therefore, the Jewish hope for the future was to get married and have children. 
Now, David Bennett, he writes a book um, called The War of Love's Excellent Books for a lot of different reasons, but he's got a lot to say about um, singleness and the church um, in our society. And he says this, Jesus was an unmarried, childless man in the Jewish society of family values and a celibate in a Roman society of sexual liberation that mocked singleness. In a world of two-sided sexual obsession, Jesus invited others into pure intimacy, modeled love and friendships, and lived in life-giving singleness. I never once heard a sermon about friendship or the singleness of Jesus Christ. Why? Now, if you're a single Christian for any amount of time, you completely get this, don't you? So on the one hand, you've, got, you've kind of got that pressure which we put on ourselves and which we feel from others to, to be married. But then you've got the other pressure as well, which is anything but subtle, and, and that's the pressure to be having sex. So I, I find outside of the church, no one cares if I'm not married. No, no one really cares if I'm not married. A few eyebrows are raised when they find out, you know, he's been single for a long time. But, you know, the, the whole sex thing, the whole saving sex for that um, for, for, for marriage, that seems to be where people have the problem. Okay? And to say sex is for marriage is completely countercultural. The pressure to have sex is really high. Um, and we're bombarded with it from all directions. Okay. Uh, who are you sleeping with was a legitimate conversation starter in some of my friendship groups. And I remember when I told them that, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to save sex for marriage. Okay. They thought I was going to become a monk. That's literally what they thought, because <laughs> they had no frame of reference that people, you know, people living normal lives would do this. People wouldn't realize would save sex for marriage. But um, also in the New Testament, we have Paul. Now, he is someone who also lived this countercultural lifestyle of being single at the time. And again, he was in Jewish society and he taught positively about singleness. Imagine that. So he says this in Corinthians he says, I wish that all of you were as I am, referring to being single, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, to the unmarried and the widow, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So Paul commends marriage for some. He commends singleness for some. He calls singleness a gift, and he calls marriage a gift. And in some circumstances, he says that singleness can actually be better. We see other people make significant contributions in Jesus' ministry, like Lydia and Martha and Mary and Anna and Lazarus. And even in the Old Testament, we see God affirming the lives and leadership of single people. We've got Daniel, and we've got Joseph, for example. So Christianity and the gospel was a game-changer. As previously, the people of God uh, were living out this Genesis-free mandate, which was to um, be fruitful and multiply, to get married and have children. And singleness wasn't really an option for them, but now singleness was a completely legitimate lifestyle for believers in God. Barry, uh, Barry Danielak, in Redeeming Singleness, he says this, um, the New Testament does not interpret the mandate given to Adam, Noah, and Jacob as a divine imperative impingent upon all, nor are traditional marriage, procreation, and material prosperity explicitly associated with covenantal blessings in the New Covenant. Instead, the central message of the New Testament is in proclaiming the good news of the coming kingdom of God. So Christianity and the gospel proposed a radical culture shift for the people of God, where both singleness and marriage were seen as good things. No longer was a person's value or worth, no longer was a person's value or worth tied to their marital status. Um, question is, where do we stand on that now? Where do we stand on that now as a church? See, I think in response to the challenges in our culture surrounding marriage, we have rightly taught about the goodness of marriage. 
but it's come at expense. And as, as the quote previously said, when was the last time you heard a sermon about the friendship or the singleness of Jesus Christ? And it's come at the expense of the goodness of singleness. So this is all well and good. So maybe I have convinced you that singleness is good and maybe the church needs to get back to thinking about singleness is good. But how does that help me as a single person? Um, how does that help me? When I desire marriage, I still desire marriage. I still desire, you know, that one person who can commit to me and I to them. And I have desires to be a father or a mother and you don't want to miss out for this. How does this help me? And for many Christians, single, these are strong desires. Just strong desires which don't go away and we can't deny them. And it's the combination of these desires, our own personal desires, together with these pressures and these expectations can lead us into all sorts of questioning, all sorts of questioning which can then kind of take over our lives. And we can be looking around and thinking, you know, are, are, are there enough eligible people? I know. Do I know enough eligible people? Are there enough eligible people in this church? Are there enough eligible people in the church down the road for me? Are there enough eligible people in this country? And if so, how on earth do I meet them? You know, I'm on fire. And you know, do I really have to save sex for marriage? What on earth? Where have I gone wrong in my dating life? Should I have married the person I dated five years ago? Were they the one I should have married? Have I been too fussy? Have I not been fussy enough? Should I date a supportive non-believer? What are the rules on that? This period of singleness has been long. Is that a waste of my sexuality? My body is changing. You know, maybe I'd never have a family of my own. I don't think I'll get married. What does life look like for me? And myself and other single friends, you know, we, we can become well acquainted with single anxiety. I've seen it both in my life and of dear friends I've known over the years. And there was a time in my life when this was just getting the better of me. Just getting the better of me. I was already feeling kind of a void of coupled up friends, both in the church and outside of the church, just not available as they used to be. Uh, many single people, not many single people around living this single Christian life I was living, just got into some, you know, a little bit isolated, and that's when you sort of realise that, yeah, your desires are strong. Um, a quiet time at this point was a bit of a joke. It was more like loud aggravation times. You know, where I'd go into my room and just shout at God and hopefully pick up a cushion to throw around rather than something else. But I'd say things to God, and, you, know, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? What, you know, why have you given that person a wife and not me? How long is this going to be for? Um, and I was doing all the right things. You know, so I you know, was serving in church. You know, I wasn't chasing after other relationships which, um, no matter how tempting they are, which might lead me down the wrong path. And I remember someone saying to me, you know, Stan, you deserve a wife. And I thought about that and I think, yeah, yeah, I deserve a wife. <laughs> and you just kind of start thinking, you know, God's holding out on you. And it was just a hard session for me, a hard season of singleness. Um, but we were doing, um, it was in a different church, I was in a different church, and we were doing the reading through the Bible type thing, like we're doing now, and uh, it was time for revelation. And I didn't know too much about my Bible at the time, I didn't know what I was about to read, but I just knew revelation was at the back of the Bible. And um, it was Revelation 2, so it's um, letters to the churches, and it was a letter to the church in Ephesus, and you've got Jesus' words in there. And um, not going to read it all, but it says, I know your deeds, your heart work and your perseverance. 
yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Repent and do the things you did at first. And as I read that, I just remember being cut to the heart. You know, I was in tears, and this is a true story, but it's a hard word, right, isn't it? It's a hard word, yet I hold this against you. It's a hard word, but I found it to be a beautiful word at the same time, because I realised that, you know, I was more concerned about my marital status than I was with God. But I also realised that, you know, God was more concerned with what's in my heart than he was about my marital status. He knows my deeds, but he also knew my heart. Now, Paige Brenton Brown, who we mentioned earlier, who she herself was a single at the time of writing this, and she says this, Much has been written in Christian circles about singleness. The objective is usually to shy the married population for their misunderstanding and segregationalism, or to emphasise with the unmarried population as they bear the cross of Plan B for the Christian life bolstered only by consolation prizes of innumerable sermons on 1 Corinthians 7, which we'll look at, and the fact that you can cut your toenails in bed. Yet singles, like all other believers, need scriptural critique and instructions seasoned by sober grace, not condolences accompanied with pious platitudes. And get this, John Calvin's secret of sanctification is the interaction of the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self. Singles, like all other sinners, typically dismiss the first element of the formula, and therein lies the root of all identity crises. It is not that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, but that life has no tragedy like our God ignored. Every problem is a theological problem, and the habitual discontent of us singles is no exception. So, I mean, this is hard words, but it reminds me of a dear friend of mine who I you know, um, she really wanted to be married. She wasn't married, and she is now married. But uh, at the time, um, whenever um, you got around, relationships just seemed to dominate the conversation. Um, and I think for the past decade, she, she had only been single for about three weeks, and she'd been in and out of relationships, all with Christian guys, all above board. But, um, you know, they had lasted one year, maybe two years, maybe six months. And she was a kind of an expert on relationship dynamics. Who would work well with who? Why didn't work out with this fellow? What is my personality and what's his personality and what I actually need from a man? Those type of things. But it just felt that, you know, whenever I was with her, it just felt, I was just thinking, you know, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? And it just seemed like God had been reduced to some kind of matchmaker or some kind of genie to grant the next wish or some kind of relationship coach. And I was always thinking, you know, God is so much more than this. And it seemed like the goal of the Christian faith was to get married. The goal was to get married, and God was simply a means unto that end. But I can't say it's no wonder that we can feel like this sometimes, that we can, we can go down this, this hard questioning route um, it's no wonder we can, because first of all, the culture we grow up in, we're bombarded with messages that life is about finding the love of your life. And it starts really early. It starts with Disney, doesn't it? Where you have the prince and the princess. After whatever happens, they kind of get together and live happily ever after. And then you've got, ba I mean, even Bambi. Even Bambi gets a girl or something, doesn't he? And then you've got your rom-coms. Um, <laughs> you get your rom-coms, you know. The typical scenario is the silly singles finally get it together and find relational bliss with each other. Um, now, I'm not knocking romance, I hope for some myself. And you read the Bible, you read Song of Songs, you know, those two, they quite like each other. But the cultural message seems to be that love and fulfillment must be found in romantic and sexual love. 
That seems to be the message. And then we have the Christianized version of it. So the Christianized version of it is, if you marry, have children, buy property. Then that's the Christian life. Then you'll be fulfilled. And you also hear things like, I need to find my soulmate, or I found my soulmate. And sometimes you hear things like, you know, I'm looking for someone to complete me. That person completes me. And I always hate that one, because I'm thinking, well, I've lived 36 years, mostly single, and have I been a half a person for that time? Have I been complete all that time? Am I incomplete now? I always hate that, and I think, no, I'm a complete man now. I am complete in Christ. Um, and do I want to be with someone who is expecting me to complete them? Do I want to be with someone who wants me to complete them, to fulfil them in every way? And I think, I think that's just a bit of a pressure to put on me. Relationships seem to be harder enough without that additional pressure. Um, Abby Smith, not the Abby Smith who used to be here, but she's a Christian blogger and author. She says this, Singles idolise marriage and treat it as the ultimate goal. And then when we get married, marrieds are stuck searching for the idealised marriage they so long idolised. <laughs> and we definitely see this. Um, so there's only one marriage which will last forever. It's not yours. Okay. There's only one marriage which will last forever, and that's the marriage of Jesus and the church. And Jesus died on the cross and rose again. The church and him can be married. Okay. Therefore, any earthly marriage which you have or which you might have is penultimate. It's penultimate. We're with Keller again, and he, he's saying this to married people, and he's also saying it to single people. He says, but singles too must see the penultimate status of marriage. If single Christians don't develop a deeply fulfilling love relationship with Jesus, they will put way too much pressure on their dream of marriage, and that will create pathology in their lives. However, if Christians learn to rest in and rejoice in their marriage to Christ, that means they will be able to handle the single life without the devastating sense of being unfulfilled and unformed. And they might as well tackle this spiritual project straight away. Why? Because the same idolatry of marriage that is distorting their single lives will eventually distort their married lives if they find a partner. So there is no reason to wait. Demote marriage and family in your heart. Put God first and begin to enjoy the singleness of single life. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, you know, don't pursue marriage. I'm not saying that. But I am just saying, in your desire for a spouse... Don't let that take, overtake you. Don't let that be the one thing you must have. Otherwise, life isn't worth it. You know, after that time of reading Revelation in my bedroom, you know, I found that my life was infused with just the nearness of God, a great sense of him at work in me, and a whole ton of purpose in my life. Um, and that's, when I, you know, that's how we can start to see that singleness is good. Both marriage and singleness are gifts in the Bible. Both marriage and singleness are gifts in the Bible. But this has been really misunderstood. People say, you know, people will say, I don't have the gift of marriage, that's what, no, sorry, I don't have the gift of singleness, that's why I got married. Or I don't have the gift of singleness, that's why I need to get married. I mean, how do you know if you've got the gift of being single anyway? Is it some special power to live a single life well? Well, let's do a quick test. Are you married? If you are married, you have the gift of marriage. Are you single? If you are single, you have the gift of singleness. It's not about how you feel. It's not about how well it's going. But both are gifts from God if received as gifts and viewed correctly. Some of the best marriages I know have been hard work. 
painful at times. Yet we can't say of these people, you do not have the gift of marriage. And the gift of singleness is not some special superpower where I feel no sexual desires or no um, need for companionship. You know, they are both gifts from God. Um, Paul writes in Corinthians 7, I'm not going to read it all, but he says, um, but those of you who marry will face many troubles in your life, and I want to spare you of this. I mean, my granddad said that women are nothing but trouble, but I think Paul is referring to something different here. Um, then he goes, I would like you to be free from concerns. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that, may you, that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So just listen to Paul's heart. He's saying it for our own good, not to restrict us, that we may live in a right way. But also let's have a look at what he's not saying. So he's not saying that single people are free from concerns. If you are single, you know you are not free from concerns. And in fact, you have some concerns that married people don't even need to consider. Um, but he is saying that he wants you to be free from the particular concerns that come with marriage. Um, he's not saying of married people that they are not fully devoted to the Lord, because if you can't be fully devoted to the Lord in your marriage, then maybe none of us should get married. But what he is saying is that how that looks is different in marriage as it is to when you are single. Um, but in your desire, yeah, I just said, in your desire to please your husband and wife, there come certain anxieties, and these are good anxieties because you want to please your husband and wife. But in your singleness, there comes great opportunity. Okay, you know... I said it before, after that time where I met with God in my room after re meeting Revelation 2 and I just had my life infused with the nearest of God and a whole bunch of purpose, I just realised that, you know, God has got stuff for me. God has got stuff for me to walk in. And so some of the things I did is I was able to quit my job, work for the church for a year. I got paid nothing but absolutely loved it. A few years later, I was able to quit my job, so there's a theme going on there. And then I was able to start a PGCE, just something God opened up at the last minute. But I was able to walk in, you know, at a drop of a hat, finish my job and walk into that. And then at the end of the PGCE, I had a little bit of funding left. And I just said to God, you know, I, I fancy an adventure and I want to do something for you. And so I ended up spending, you know, a, week, a couple of weeks later, ended up in Tanzania uh, working for my friend's charity, doing some filming and doing some interviews and doing, doing some talks in the churches there. And I loved it. Um, and then when I came back from Tanzania, again, I had no job and uh, I went church planting and I had no job. I had no money, uh, but how did Naomi had to study? So I stayed in their study and joined the church plant. And I look back and all of those things I would not have been able to do had I had the uh, responsibilities of marriage or children. All those things I would have been able to do. And they're the things I look back on my life, on an interesting stage where I can look back on plenty of life and look forward to hopefully plenty of life as well. They're the things I'm really pleased I did. Because they're the things that God had for me. I've done other things which have been great as well, but they're the things which I am really pleased with. And even now, as I'm a little, little bit older, you know, I'm less interested in winding up in um, East Africa for two months. I'm less interested in that, but still I'm going to God and thinking, you know, God, what have you got for me? Where would you like me to reach out into? 
what would you like me to do with my life? How are you working with me? I've got friends in their 30s, in their 40s, doing the same thing. So one of my best friends in Bristol, uh, he quit his teaching job, um, and now he's like travelling all around different places. He's doing films, he, he's trying to write a book, all these type of things. I never knew he could do this. But he's using his single times, he's kind of said, yeah, these single times, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to make the most of my single life. And there's other seasons of singleness which are just hard. I appreciate that. So I've got friends who are separated and divorced. And you know, some of them are saying, yeah, this is really hard. I can't really find anything good in this. And then others are saying, yeah, this is really hard. But, you know, God is doing a work in me. God is doing a work in me. So whatever your situation in your singleness, my encouragement will be go to God. Go to God. What has he got for you? What is he trying to do with you? Because your life will not start when you get married. Your single life is not a warm-up to the real thing when you get married. It's not a warm-up to your life is now. Um, don't just bide your time waiting for a fella or a girl to show up into your life. Your life is now. Mike Pilevacci, he's, uh, he's an older single man. He's involved in ministry. He runs Soul Survivor. He says this. He says, embrace the gift of singleness until the gift of marriage. Yeah. Okay, so the single Christian life it's never meant to be lived in isolation. Not meant to leave this in isolation. Um, I was talking to a fellow single in church a few weeks ago and we said, yeah, too much time alone as singles is just a killer for us. And in my experience, wherever there is isolation, there's temptation around the corner. Wherever there's isolation, there's just temptation around the corner. They go together like a, like a horse and carriage. Um, and the church is a place to belong. Church is a place to belong. It's not just a place to attend. It's not a place to attend and serve, but it's a place to belong. You need to find your place in the church. Now, Sam Albury is a pastor of a church in Kent. Uh, he writes and travels widely on a wide range of topics, um, topics including sexuality and culture and the church um, and other related issues. But Sam is single, and he has been single. Uh, I think he's been single his whole life, and I think he's going to be single for his whole life. Now, Sam has a fantastic testimony about the church. Just how the church, how, how he turned up as a young man, shared his life, shared his struggles, uh, and all of that, and how the church has embraced him. Um, I've got a similar um, testimony. You know, when I went to Bristol and when I've come here, you know, I've opened up my life and the church has just embraced me. Um, and I've found many um, friends here. Now, I've been given many opportunities to lead worship, to lead groups and preaching, and this is all good, but you need to belong. That's no good if I do not belong to a church. If I do not find friendships in a church, if I do not find these deep friendships in a church. Because um, we're all, like I was saying before, we're all wired for this intimacy, just like Jesus was. So Christ was wired for intimacy with God and with others. And we're wired in that way as well. We need God and we need others. Some of my best friends I've met through church, both single people and married people, um, I've, you know, I've lived with people, I've holidayed with people, I've laughed with people, cried with people. And I remember a few years ago, just my housing situation went up in the air, and I had like two weeks to sort something out to find somewhere to live. I think it was Harold and Naomi who just said to me, you, you know, Stan, you're with us, aren't you? You're with us, come, come and live with us. I mean, they had three kids and I think a lodger living with them at the time. But the attitude was, no, no we're sort something out, you're, you're with us. 
don't think of yourself as homework. And, but that's exactly how it sh should be, shouldn't it? That's exactly how it should be. We should have those type of relationships over time. We should find those in church. Uh, and married, so you can make such a difference in the lives of single people. So what I find in my kind of social groups is that, you know, relationship statuses change. People move away. But it's kind of the married friends who are more permanent. They seem to be more permanent. And you can make such a difference in the lives of single people. Now, Sam has written a letter to the church on the subject of singleness. And I'm going to read a portion of it for you and then summarise the rest of it. Um, the date on it is um, February... 26, 2018, so that's about three weeks ago. So this is hot off the press. This is what he says. He goes, Dear brothers and sisters, we owe our existence as churches to God. He has put us together by his grace and for his glory. This is not something we could have done by ourselves. We are humans, and our failings as such are everywhere evident. But we are nevertheless a supernatural presence. We exist as a church only by a miracle. So we need to steward one another well, and an important part of that stewardship, and often neglected part, is making sure we are thinking biblically about the issue of singleness. The rise of singleness in our culture, as well as in our churches, makes this more and more pressing. All the trends indicate this part of our demographic is growing at both ends. People marrying later, marriages ending sooner. But this is not just for singles to think about. What the Bible says about singleness concerns the whole church for three significant reasons. And this is where I'm paraphrasing. So the Bible's teaching on singleness is given to all. Just as teaching directed towards married people is intended for everyone to read, so teaching towards single people is intended for everyone to read and understand. Most of us who are married will one day again be single. He says that this is sobering and sad, but necessary to think about. Some will be widowed with much life left to live. Some marriages will finish early. And the local church is a body. We're a body. What happens to some of us affects us all. If I break my toe, it's not just my toe that suffers, it is I that suffer. If marriages are struggling, we all struggle. If singles are struggling, we all struggle. Sam concludes, he says, therefore, I need to know what the Christian life is like in your situation and you in mine. As I say that, this requires more conversation and less assumption from everyone, particularly in the neglected area of singleness. Now, there are some great stuff going on in G1, and so I'm not bringing the next things up to, to knock this church or anything like that. But through my readings, um, my studies for this, and the conversations I've had with various pastors, many have admitted that, yes, the church has been sort of set up for married people. And the big dropout rate for single people tends to be around the 25-39 mark. Um, there's actually a campaign which has been running for the last four years called Single Friendly Church. The fact that this ca campaign exists should concern us. And I'm not bringing this up about G1. You know, I've had my testimony that this has been great, and others I've spoken to have said, yeah, G1 is great. But I want to read this one because it summarises a lot of findings which we find on, uh, on this website, on this programme. Um, and as we grow as a church, I believe we're going to grow as a church, we will find more single people coming into our church, and we need to think about these issues. And so um, Dr. Sarah Betts, 40 from Essex, she says this, for me, the biggest challenge for singles lies in our invisibility. 
The church generally assumes that one graduates from the 20s and 30s groups into marriage and families. If that doesn't happen, no one knows what to do with you. In one committee meeting recently, it was suggested the women's group should be called Wives and Wine. In seven years, I recall only one set of intercessions for single people. Yet we regularly pray for families' concerns, those prayers focused on loneliness. But loneliness isn't always about being alone. Some of my loneliest of times have been in church, surrounded by families. I struggle with people who think that because their husbands are non-church goers, they're in a similar position to singles because we're both on our own on Sundays. But living alone is hard work. Nothing happens unless I make it happen. And it's tiring always having to be the first to make a move with married friends. And don't get me started on the super holy who think relationship with God is enough to compensate for living solo. God doesn't take out the bins. Okay. So, so I, mean, I mean, it's hard reading, isn't it? It's hard reading. But there are single people who are hurting in church and some who don't go because of it. And I don't think we can write this one off as single discontent. Now, is the answer to have single churches, those who are, which are more single and those which are more married? I think no. I don't really want to go to a church which is full of single people. I might get some more dates, but I don't really, don't really want that. Um, but how can singles and marrieds do church together? How can they do church together? I once attended a house group. I took a much younger friend with me, and after a few weeks, she said to me, you know, Stan, all they talk about is marriage. And the context was, you know, someone was about to get married, and, you know, someone was celebrating a big anniversary. So, I mean, we're fine with that, but marriage did seem to dominate the, the conversation for a few weeks. But I'm currently in a group where I'm the only one who hasn't been married, who's not married or hasn't been married. And I'm also in a smaller discipleship group with three guys who are all married with children. Do I have a place in these groups? Absolutely, thank you. Or should I find somewhere else with maybe a few more single people to hang out with? It all depends on what it's about, really, doesn't it? It depends on the focus. So if we turn to the, uh, the Redeeming Singleness book, he says this, uh, um, Barry Danielak, he says, Jesus' primary concern in his ministry is not to provide a prescription for living well in the land, but to bestow spiritual life, a new life in the spirit that is eternal life. Such new spiritual formation is the process of becoming Jesus' disciples. Hence, though in the New Testament we are not given any explicit mandate to marry and procreate physical human beings, we are given a new mandate to create more spiritual beings, disciples in the form of Jesus, as we find in the words of Matthew's Great Commission. So if the focus of these groups is about maintenance, about life maintenance, about marriage support, or even about sort of single support, if that is the focus of the group, then, then maybe I don't have a place in a group which is full of married people. But if the focus is Christ, if the focus is him, his mission, becoming a disciple, if that is the focus, then absolutely yes, I absolutely have a place at that table. I absolutely have a part in the groups. And I'm glad to say, I, you know, that's how it is in our group at the moment. How about in my, in my smaller disciples group? Can a single person speak into the life of a married person? You say yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, can I speak into the life of a married person? I mean, I can't speak out of experience, can I? Because I've never been married and I do not have children of my own. I have some experience of children in my job, but I know for well I don't have them running around my house at the weekends. Um, but I could say it the other way around. I could say to like, someone who's married, well, you don't know what it's like to be single in my position. You do not know what it's like to go through your 20s and into your 30s and, and stay single. I could say that. 
And I've had that attitude before, to be honest. And I think it was uh, Mark Clements, married Mark Clements with children, who said to me, you know, Stan, you can speak into my life. You can speak as a single, you can speak into my life. I expect you to. And again, it depends what are we doing? What are we doing? If the focus is becoming more Christ-like, being more formed into his image, being a disciple, then yes, we can support each other because we can point each other towards Jesus. Who needs more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control in their lives? We all do. We all do, yeah. So I, I definitely need it in my differing relationships. You need it in your relationships. Okay. But that's the fruit of being connected to Christ. That's the fruit of being his disciples. We will see more of that in our lives. You become more Christ-like. And when we're directing ourselves towards him, directing each other towards him, For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.